Our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. The people of God have returned from their exile in Babylon and they are now gathering to confess their sins at the Feast of Booths. And so we hear in chapter 9, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Yeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kanani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pedathiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers." And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and the law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. 
And they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And at the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amidst your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is the word of the Lord. Nehemiah recounts the, the history of God's dealings with his people from, from Abraham to the present. And it's a, it's a history of the dealings of God's spirit. Because God gave his good spirit to instruct Israel in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud and by day and fire by night led Israel to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, and if you've ever done the math in the book of Exodus... It's on the 50th day after, they've, after, after Passover. So this would be the first Pentecost, though it's, the Feast of Pentecost doesn't exist yet. But when you do the math later, you realize, oh my goodness, what God did on the first Pentecost is this is partly then why the Feast of Pentecost throughout Israel's history is the Feast of the Giving of the Law. And then it's also the Feast of the Giving of the Spirit. Because what happened on Mount Sinai when the glory of the Lord that had led them through the wilderness, the glory of the Lord appears, well, it's going to be at Mount Sinai that the glory of the Lord will fill the tabernacle so that God will go before them. He will go with them in the wilderness. And Nehemiah says that this is about the giving of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, in, in verse 30, we hear that God warned Israel by your spirit through your prophets throughout the Old Testament, this is a regular, a regular feature. 
the Holy Spirit, spoke by the prophets. So you see these two themes, that the Spirit leads Israel through the wilderness, and the Spirit speaks by the prophets, teaching Israel the ways of the Lord. Now, you can kind of see, actually this is, this is where it's kind of, our Sunday school class connects nicely with our, with our sermon, actually connects nicely with tonight's sermon, but uh, there's a way in which the problem that Nehemiah is laying out for us is that so long as the Spirit of God is merely leading us and teaching us, our hearts haven't changed. What's Israel's problem? They have the Spirit of God in their midst, in the tabernacle, in the temple, but until the Spirit of God comes to dwell in his people. Hmm. We're back to uncreated grace now, aren't we? <laughs> we saw in Sunday school that the Pelagians, they have all this external grace. There's the law. That, God tells you what to do. Isn't that gracious of him? Well, that's... You could almost say... I mean, I, I, I'm not going to call Nehemiah a Pelagian, but Nehemiah's vision of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does is very much he needs you and he shows you the way to go it's because Nehemiah doesn't yet know about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the great Pentecost that the first Pentecost was pointing to it's only when God himself comes to dwell with his people not just in a, in a house of stone but in, the, in human hearts only then will the outpouring of the Holy Spirit be made fully known. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 15, verse 18. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. Hear now the word of our God. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Once again, in, in John, we also see that the Spirit leads and the Spirit speaks. That's what he does. He guides the church into all truth. He takes what belongs to the Son and declares it to us. But now, as we saw last week in chapter 14, in chapter 14, verse 16, he says, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, uh, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. There you see the fundamental difference between the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That now the Spirit will dwell in the hearts of God's people, joining them to the life of the resurrected Son. I will come to you, Jesus says. I, I will go to be with the Father, but when I send the Spirit, I will come to you. Incidentally, this is why the deity of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to salvation. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't God, then what comes to us? Another created gift. <laughs> we have lots of those. God's given us lots of created gifts. But if the Holy Spirit is not God, then there is no uncreated grace that comes to us. There is no God himself who comes to us because... If the Holy Spirit isn't God, well, you know, the Father is still up there, and, and now the Son's with Him, and we're all left down here by ourselves. No, the, the Holy Spirit is God, and it's really important to say so, because that's what brings Jesus to us. That's who brings Jesus to us, is the third person of the Trinity Himself. In the Apostles' Creed, we, we simply say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, but in the Nicene Creed, we add a little more. You know, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we see some of this in, in John's Gospel. In John, uh, Jesus shows how the Spirit proceeds from the Father and bears witness about the Son. Uh, Jesus had already said in chapter 13 that uh, a servant is not greater than his master. And now Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 
Jesus is explaining what this means for the church. Jesus is explaining how how the eleven, I mean, because he's he's zeroing in on them and saying, for you, if you're going to follow me, this is what your future is going to be. And then in chapter 17, Jesus will will say, okay, and this is how all of this applies to everybody who believes through their preaching. So, in a sense, what we're doing is we're jumping at we're jumping ahead and applying it to us because. Jesus will get there in chapter 17, and we're not preaching through the whole book of John right now, so I'll just get straight to it and say, what Jesus has come is to, is to cast the, the, the prince of this world out. The world will hate Jesus, and therefore they will hate all who belong to him. Jesus has come to, to challenge everything the world holds dear. He has come to establish a, a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And so his kingdom fundamentally challenges all earthly kingdoms. And here Jesus says that if they were of the world, the world would love them as its own. But instead the world will hate them because Jesus has chosen them out of the world. Now, you may, you may, you may be thinking about, wait a second, I thought John 3.16 said that God loved the world. Well, yes. And actually, in John's Gospel, there are two ways of talking about the world depending upon which angle you're looking at the world from. In John 3.16, we, we hear that God loves the world and is in the process of saving the world. But that's where in John 3, Jesus, Jesus says that God condemns those who re- refuse to believe. He condemns them, you might say, out of the world. So God is, gonna, God is saving the world, and those who refuse to believe, those who rebel, uh, are condemned because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So one way of saying it is that God is saving the world and those who refuse to believe in Jesus are removed from the world, as it were. Now, the other way is the way that Jesus uses here in John 15 when he says that God is condemning the world and he's saving his people out of it. And both ways of talking are very biblical ways of talking and so that's where it's appropriate to say it either way. Uh, John 3 is looking at it, is looking at it from, a, you might say, an eschatological perspective. In the end the world will be saved. The purpose and goal of Jesus' coming is to save the world. But John 15 and 16 is looking at election, you might say, from the vantage point of the present age. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16:33. Jesus is casting out the ruler of this world in his death and resurrection, but this world has not yet been recreated into the world to come. The salvation of the world is the goal, but until that goal is accomplished, the world is still a hostile place. The citizens of this world do not confess Jesus as Lord. They do not recognize him as King of Kings, and so they hate him, and they hate all who belong to his kingdom. So Jesus says, the world will hate you because the world loves darkness. They hate the light. And verse 20 Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you back in chapter 13. A servant is not greater than his master. When he was washing their feet, he was telling them, you need to wash one another's feet. No greater love is there than a man lays down his life for his friends. If that is what your master does for you, then you must do that as well. And here Jesus says that how, how they've responded to me is how they'll respond to you. Now, it's not all negative because Jesus says, if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. So those who... Those who hear and believe will do what Jesus calls them to do. But just don't be surprised when they treat you the way they treated Jesus. But as we've seen last week, 
Jesus says that greater works will you do because Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes, because the Holy Spirit now works in the hearts of God's people, something that has almost been unimaginable is going to happen. The gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. I mean, prior to the coming of Christ, uh, there, there was a, there, there were, the gospel didn't get very far. But now that Jesus has come, within a, within a generation, the gospel had spread throughout not just the Mediterranean world, but well into Asia, well into Africa. And then it just kept going. And Jesus, Jesus says that he is bringing about his kingdom and sending forth his spirit. And that's why the, the coming of the Holy Spirit is so important. Because, in a sense, the, the Mosaic age is coming to an end. The priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices. Those who believe in Jesus, those who believe in the Father, are being constituted as a kingdom not of this world. But how can the kingdom come if the king is absent? As Jesus, I'm, I'm going to the Father, and it's a good thing for you that I go. Because if I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Here Jesus says that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Uh, It's part of what we confess in the Creed. What what does it mean to proceed? Uh, The basic idea is to go out from. Uh, when we talk about the Trinity, we, we sometimes use the word perichoresis, but it's, it's the mutual indwelling of the persons of the Trinity. That the, that's, it's what Jesus had said when he says that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and the Holy Spirit is in the Father and in the Son. That the, the, the persons of the Trinity mutually indwell one another. This is why when we talk about the Trinity, we don't, we don't talk about the, the persons of the Trinity as, as like Tom, Dick, and Harry, three persons who may be friends, but, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry don't mutually indwell one another. <laughs> that's just, that, that's, that, sounds, that would sound kind of strange. Um, but the persons of the Trinity are mutually indwell one another. It's that the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, the Spirit is in, in the Father and the Son. That's why Jesus says the Spirit proceeds from the Father. He goes forth from the Father because he is in the Father. It's, it's also why the Western Church confesses in the Creed that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's a way of emphasizing the mutual indwelling of the persons of the Trinity. Now, if you're familiar with this, the, the, the Eastern Church never, never was never okay with this, adding this filioque, the, the and the son. Uh, they, hear, they hear it as saying, oh, you're saying that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, so you have sort of two sources resulting in the Holy Spirit. And the Western Church is like, no, 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 no. Remember, we, we, we believe in perichoresis. We believe in mutual indwelling. So it's not two different sources. It's that, that we say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, but because the Son is also in the Father, and is, that therefore it is correct to say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, there was an attempt to, uh, many centuries ago to say from the Father through the Son, which most, most theologians on both sides are like, you know, that would actually work. Um, 
but the problem is there are other issues between East and West. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Pope, that would be one of the, that's sort of like the big issue right now and always has been. Um, but, um, so that's where, I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, I don't think the Western Church should have added and the Son without the consent of the East. Now the problem is, is that what do we do about it? I, I, I actually, I had a pastor friend, actually the, the pastor who gave me this robe, uh, whose robe it was, um, who, because of he, because he was convinced of this, his church just left that out in when they would recite the creed, and I was like, no, I mean, this is not going to help. <laughs> I mean, this, sort of now you're, you're sort of you're creating division within the denomination that you, that we're we sort of we now have some churches that confess one, some that confess it. The, the, the way out is going to be for East and West to finally get back together again and talk through, okay, how are we going to say this? Uh, so that's where I would not be in favor of even the PCA as a whole saying, we're going to change the creed. No, no, let's, let's not be changing the creed. Let's, let's do it together, and until we can do it together, let's just keep working on it. <laughs> um, but... But that's where, and also, uh, for instance, in the in the song that we'll sing after the after the service, uh, there's this line that says, you know, this is our our, our firm, unchanging creed uh, that they both proceed, and that's where that's where it's obviously this that song was written just a couple centuries after they had changed it, so it's unchanging creed. Um, but but the point being that what we are confessing is the unchanging thing. And that's where whether you say that from, from the Father and the Son, or whether you say from the Father through the Son, it's still that it's from them both proceed. So whichever, whichever way this gets resolved, we still, yes, it's important to say that, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, or from the Father through the Son. Both, both ways of saying it are actually trying to get at the same thing. Because the West doesn't mean what the East is afraid of. We don't mean there's two sources in God, but there's not. But also, that's where, as with many, as with many theological controversies, there's more than just theology involved in this one. Um, but the key is to remember how this connects to us. The Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, and now we are in Him, and He is in us. How do we become partakers of the divine life? Well, it's when this, it's, it's when Christ ascends to the Father. Because until one who shares our humanity sits at the right hand of the Father, we don't have any access to this. It's only when one who is truly man and truly God sits at the right hand of the Father that he who is in the Father can now send the Spirit of the Son the Spirit, and the Spirit who proceeds from the Father to us so that we might share in the life of God. So that thus, when the Helper comes, when the, the Spirit of Truth comes, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Jesus and we will bear witness to Him. If the Holy Spirit is not God Himself, then we have no real connection to God. Jesus says that He will come to us and He comes to us in the coming of His Spirit, the one who unites the persons of the Trinity in love and peace and harmony. Because, because the Holy Spirit is true God, 
Therefore, when the Spirit is given to the disciples, the kingdom of God comes then through the preaching of these 11 men. They will bear witness about Jesus together with the Holy Spirit, and through that preaching, the kingdom of God will be established. And this is why we talk about how the the Spirit speaks by the prophets. And in in chapter 16, Jesus says that, that he's told us all this to keep us from falling away. And he tells us, your hour is coming. All through John's Gospel, Jesus is talking about my hour. And now he says, oh, and your hour is coming. The hour is the cross. And he says, remember, you, you also will face the cross. The rulers of the Jews will put you out of the synagogues. You'll be isolated from friends and family. All that was once dear to you will be stripped away. But Jesus says they're, they're going to do these things because they haven't known the Father nor me. You see, Judaism was never supposed to be an ethnic thing. We're seeing this as we go through Joshua, the evening service. You've got all these people who aren't actually descendants of Abraham, who are part of Israel in the Exodus. But what happens is it becomes an ethnic thing. (laughs) And they don't know God, but they're Jews. And Jesus says, they're missing the point. They haven't known the Father nor me. And Jesus says, I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. John 13 to 17 is actually one of the most intensely personal passages in Scripture as Jesus is with his, the eleven in the last few hours before he goes to the cross, telling them the things they most need to remember as they go forward in their lives. And the same spirit who spoke by the prophets will now speak by the apostles. And he, and he asks in chapter 17, not only for these 11, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. Now, it, it's not... You are probably never going to be put out of a synagogue. I mean, I'm not sure how many of you will ever wander into a synagogue. But, um, but you're probably not going to be killed by a Jew who thinks that he's doing it in service to God. Just, just a hunch. Um, but Jesus' point is that your hour will come. A servant is not greater than his master. And so you will face situations where you will be called to, will you, will you bear witness to Jesus? Or will you deny him? Those moments will come. And probably for most of us, those moments have come. And sometimes we we did okay. Sometimes we didn't. But Jesus says, your moment will come. Your hour will come when you are called to bear witness to me. And, and when your hour comes, don't be afraid. Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he has poured out his spirit upon us and joined us to his own life. Jesus says he will go to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. That in the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Son himself will be present with his church. So the church is the means that Christ uses to do his greatest work. After all, you're here. (laughs) 2,000 years later, from... would guess at least 25 or 30 or if not 50 or 70 different, I mean actually when you consider how many different, how many different 
ethnic groups you represent, many of us represent, you know, 15 or 20 just <laughs> all by ourselves. Um, but Jesus has brought people from every tribe and nation to himself by his spirit. This is not something that happened. I mean, sure, like I said, in the Old Testament, it's amazing how many people be- believe in the God of Abraham, even though they're not descended from Abraham. I mean, the Old Testament is so full of that that we, I, 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 I almost feel like it's impossible to overstate that because of how often we've portrayed the Old Testament as being, oh, it was just about the people of Abraham, the people of Israel. And it's very, no. That's what it became, but that wasn't what, it, what God did at the beginning. But Jesus says that the coming of the Holy Spirit has come first now to the eleven. And this, this is important because Jesus says the rest of the church is going to believe through your preaching. You have come to believe through the apostles' preaching. The, the whole of the New Testament was written down either by apostles or by their close associates. This is, it's their preaching that has resulted in your faith. And the central purpose of the coming of the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, is to bear witness to Christ through the apostolic preaching. I mean, the first generation of Christians didn't have the New Testament written down yet. How could they know what to believe? They had to... They had to believe what the apostles preached to them. And that's why they start collecting the, the, the writings of the apostles, because they knew that the, the apostolic teaching had a unique status. And so they looked for those writings that contained what they had heard from the apostles. That's why a book like Hebrews was included, even though they weren't quite sure who wrote it. But they're like, this is so obviously the, what the apostles taught us, that whoever wrote it, this is the apostolic teaching. And... That's where, even though in one sense Jesus is speaking primarily to the eleven, it also applies to us that we can trust the apostolic teaching. Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to teach them all things. And because Jesus has taught his apostles by his Spirit, he now teaches us through them. And this is where the same, the same Spirit who inspired the apostles to write and preach what they did is the same Spirit who is in you to help you to understand and apply what they are saying. The Holy Spirit spoke by the prophets and worked salvation in the hearts of the people of God. And and Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus says concerning sin because they don't believe in me. When the Spirit comes, he convicts the world of sin because they, they don't believe in Jesus. And the point here is that you need to stop being the world. Believe Jesus. Turn to him in faith. So long as you remain in unbelief, you will remain under this conviction of the, of the Spirit. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now, that may seem strange at first to say that the Spirit convicts the world of righteousness, You might think that the Spirit convicts the world of unrighteousness. But Jesus says, no, the Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. Jesus will be ruling in righteousness at the right hand of God. This is what what is true righteousness. True righteousness is how Jesus rules at the right hand of the Father. 
Jesus no longer is preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. No, once Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, the kingdom of God is here because the king is sitting on his heavenly throne. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And you can see a progression here. You see the sin of the world in concerning sin, the, the righteousness of the judge in concerning righteousness, and now concerning judgment, the judgment of the devil and all that belongs to him. The world will hate you, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. But, but the Spirit is not only going to speak to the world, the Spirit will especially speak to the church and especially the apostles, because Jesus still has many things to say to them. They do not yet understand fully all that God is doing in Jesus, and so the Spirit will come and guide them into all truth. Earlier in John 5, Jesus said that he does all that he hears from the Father. Now he says the Spirit will do the same. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus has shown us how he is related to the Father. Now Jesus explains how the Spirit is related to the Father and the Son. The Spirit takes all that belongs to the Son and declares it to the church. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said, he will take what is mine, and thus the Father's, and declare it to you. How do we partake of the benefits of Christ? Well, through his Spirit. And why did the Spirit declare the things of Christ to the apostles? For our benefit, so that we might know the truth. We, we have a tendency to t- turn ourselves into the center of the universe. It's easy to see in our children. Children, children start this way. Sort of everything revolves around them. But if we're honest with ourselves, we haven't changed that much. You may know theoretically that the world does not revolve around you, but you still act like it. And we want the Holy Spirit to revolve around us as well. We can very often come to the scriptures asking, what does this say to me? And this is why John is such a helpful gospel to read. Because the gospel of John isn't about you. The gospel of John is about Jesus. The word of God reorients us. It reminds us, oh right, my life isn't about me. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of this. The Holy Spirit reminds us of this even in the way he relates to the Son. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And yet Jesus says that when he comes... He will not speak on his own authority. Even the Holy Spirit is not focused on himself. That shouldn't surprise us. Neither was Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said, I do not speak on my own authority. I simply speak what I hear from my Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son. The Spirit takes the things of the Son and declares them to us. John points us to how the Spirit glorifies the Son. And that glory is the glory of the Father. But then again, the Spirit is the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So when you worship and glorify the Son, you worship and glorify the Father and the Holy Spirit. There's a way in which, there's a way in which the Spirit shows forth true humility in not pointing to Himself, but pointing to the Son because this, just as the Son points us to the Father, because God Himself 
shows us that humility in humbling himself as the Son joined himself to our humanity, as the Spirit now unites us to the Son, that we might have life in him. And that if our God is this way, how much more should we be this way? As we humble ourselves and seek to love him and love one another and not run after our own selfish ambitions, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Because we, we so easily run after our own selfish desires. We so easily seek first our own kingdoms, our own righteousness. And yet, Father, we acknowledge that our, our kingdoms don't, don't function very well. And our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. So help us to believe you and to trust your spirit as your spirit leads us into all truth, as your spirit teaches us the things of your son. Help us to trust you and to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus in seeking to love those around us. Lord, help me, help each one of us to turn away from our our selfish practices and patterns and to cling to your son, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, that your spirit would continue to work in us that which is pleasing to you, that we might be more and more conformed to the likeness of our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.